This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Tonight I want to talk to you about my very favorite subject in the whole Bible, besides Jesus, of course, and that is worship. I love worship. Worship is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. When a person learns to worship, if I, I entitle this Finding God's Presence. Because if I can teach you to get into God's presence, in God's presence, it's, he's so irresistible. You can't help but worship him. And when you worship him, it puts you in a position of blessing that's above other human beings. It's the most wonderful exercise, and it's the most powerful thing as human beings we can do is worship our God. So tonight, I want to talk to you about the power of worship and how to get in God's presence. And we're going together to take a journey into God's presence tonight. Is that all right with you? First of all, when I think about worship, I think about King Saul in the latter part of his reign in the Old Testament, he was tormented by demons. And he asked to someone to find him a skilled musician. And so they found David. You know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms, most of the Psalms. And most of the Psalms, you read them, but usually they were set to music. David was singing when he wrote those Psalms. And so David came in and he began to play his instrument and sing before Saul. And when he did that, the power of God moved and those demons were driven away from Saul. That tells me something. That tells me that worship brings deliverance. Do you feel bound? Is there something holding you captive? Did you know that getting into God's presence and worshiping him can actually drive the enemy away from you and can set you free? It's powerful. I was in worship. Well, I led worship for many, many years. And, and I was in worship one night, and the Lord spoke to me and gave me an insight that has helped me so much. And this is what he said to me. He said, when Satan was in heaven, you know, he was thrown out of heaven, in case you didn't know that. He at one time was an angel, and he was in heaven. When Satan was in heaven, like all the other angels in heaven, Satan drew all of his power from worship. He knew the secret. He knew worshiping God empowered him. But when God threw him out of heaven because pride was found in his heart, and he said, I'm going to lift myself up above the other angels. I'm going to lift myself up above God. I'm going to, I'm going to get the worship. He got thrown out of heaven and a bunch of his friends with him. And God did not throw one ounce of power with them. They went out without power. So now Satan gets his power who does he get his power from? From us. He steals your power. And this is what God told me that night. I already knew that. But God told me this. He said, now, when Satan is around you harassing you and you start worshiping, rather than drawing power from worship, now worship actually drains him of his power. So if you will learn to worship God in the worst of situations, when the enemy is coming in like a flood, the Lord will lift up that standard of worship and drive him away. Worship is powerful. Worship is powerful. I think about Elisha and a story in, in the Old Testament about Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 3. In 2 Kings chapter 3, two kings came to Elisha. They were going to war. 
and they wanted to find out what God wanted them to do. If, if they were going to win, if they were going to lose, they wanted a word from the Lord. So they went to the prophet. And he said, well, you know, if you want me to hear from the Lord, then you're going to have to bring me a musician. And, as, and so they found a skilled, and it always says skilled musician. That means somebody who's really good, just like Tony and the rest of our, our orchestra. You know, we don't have just any old kind of musicians. We have skilled musicians. And so the skilled musician began to play and worship. And as the skilled musician played and worshiped, the anointing of the Lord came on the prophet, and the word of the Lord rose up in the prophet, and he began to prophesy. You say, why is that important to us? Because worship brings the anointing. Have you ever wondered why the first part of our services we worship? It's because worship brings the anointing. It's powerful. It actually releases the anointing of God on you to open your ears and open your eyes so you can hear and see what the Lord would say to you. And it brings the anointing on whoever's speaking. So when they speak, it's not just out of their ability, but it's out of the ability of the Holy Spirit flowing through them to minister to you. Worship is powerful. Worship is powerful. Entering God's presence brings anointing. So how do we enter his presence? And how do we worship him? Well, in order to demonstrate that to you tonight and for us to take this little journey, I have to talk to you just for a minute about the tabernacle of Moses. I'm not going to teach you about the tabernacle. That's a whole teaching series of teachings in itself. But in the wilderness, God wanted the people to draw near to him. And so he gave Moses a specific pattern to build the tabernacle. And it was very, very specific. And it has four parts. It has the gates. And it, do you, were you able to get that slide to come up? Oh, look. Oh, thank you. I was afraid they wouldn't get it to come up. It has four parts. It has the gates. It has the outer courts. It has the holy place. And it has the holy of holies. Now, when Solomon built the temple, he used this same pattern. Because this pattern gives us the progression to the throne of God. And the Holy of Holies is where God was dwelling on the earth at that time. And so when the people came to worship God, they weren't allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priests could. And then he, had to, he wore this special robe. Because God was so holy. If you went into that Holy of Holies and you had sin in your life, you would drop dead. Not a good thing. I, I don't know that I would have wanted to be the high priest at that time. But on their robe, at the, on the hymn, they had a little bell and a little pomegranate. And a little bell and a little pomegranate. So when they walked in, you could hear a ding-a-ling, a ding-a-ling, a ding-a-ling. The whole time you, they were in there, the, the other priest out in the, out in the holy place could hear him. Ding-a-ling, a ding-a-ling. They knew he was all right. And he had a rope tied around him. If the music stopped, they drug him out. Because he was dead. Isn't it great that we don't, have to, we don't have that fear? Because the scripture tells us, and we'll look at that scripture in a bit, we can come boldly to the throne of God. So let's look at that. Let's look at a psalm. David wrote in Psalms 100. I'm going to read the whole psalm to you because it's great. But this is a great psalm. This is a psalm you might want to meditate on. Roll over in your spirit. And, and look at what it says. Psalms 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. That's what we did tonight, isn't it? 
Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Now listen to this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So we start our journey to the presence of God at the gates. The gates of the tabernacle, the gates of our relationship with God, and the gates are thanksgiving. The question is, what is thanksgiving? What is thanksgiving? Well, let me define it for you. Thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude for the things God has done for you. You know, we get so busy, we forget to say thank you very often to the Lord. David was not allowed in the holy place or the holy of holies, so he only talked about the gates and the courts. We, of course, are going to go all the way in tonight. But at the gates, every Israelite, every Jewish person knew if you were going to even get in the gates, you got in the gates with a grateful heart. So let me ask you tonight, do you have anything to be grateful for? Let me announce to you, the older you get, the more you have to be grateful for. When I wake up in the morning, I say, oh, thank you, Lord, that I woke up this morning. Thank you, Lord, that I'm full of energy. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have any pain in my body. Thank you, Lord, that I live in the United States of America. If you're not proud of living in the United States of America, you need to take a missions trip to a, to a third world country. And you'll come back kissing the ground and saying, thank you, Lord, that I live in America. I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord for a godly husband. There are so many people that don't have godly mates. If you have a godly mate, you need to be grateful for that. You need to thank the Lord. When I walk and pray, I love to walk and pray. And on the days that I don't have to work, I walk and pray. And when I walk and pray, I always start my prayer like this. I always, without fail, this is the way I start my prayer. Oh, Father, this is the day you have made. I rejoice in it. And I'm so glad. And I thank you, Lord. For this day and all you're going to do through me and in me today. See, we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful. The next time you just kind of feel grouchy and grumbly, stop and say, uh-oh, I may not be able to get in the gates today if I don't change my attitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, get a good attitude. <laughs> be grateful. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Why do we begin with thanksgiving? There's a reason. Everything God does is for a reason. Everything God makes is for a reason. Do you know why he, why he starts with thanksgiving? Because you're self-centered, and so am I. We all are. We're all interested in ourselves. We're all thinking about ourselves. And even our thanksgiving begins with ourselves. With myself, when I say, oh, thank you, Lord, that I woke up, that's all about me. I mean, I'm being grateful, but it's still about me, isn't it? Now, don't act like you're not the same way. You are. Even our thanksgiving reflects a self-centered attitude. But you know what it also does? God designed thanksgiving to turn our attention away from ourselves and to him. Because when I say, Lord, thank you that I woke up, it occurs to me, to my lightning quick mind, that I woke up because God allowed me to wake up. Thank you, Lord. When I get up and I don't have pain, and I'm able to walk without pain and breathe without pain. There's so many people in pain. And, and when I think about the healings, that always makes me think about the healings that I have to get my, it turns my mind away from myself and toward the Lord. I think a good example of our problem is Martha and Mary. You know the story of Martha and Mary? Jesus came to their house. 
Martha loved the Lord, but Martha was so focused on herself and her guest and what she needed to do that she was missing the very most important thing of the day. And then she went and complained to Jesus about Mary. Because Mary went and fell at the feet of Jesus and was worshiping him. And she said, Lord, make her help me. Can't you see I'm me, me? Can't you see I'm busy? Can't you see I'm overwhelmed? Can't you see I need help? And Jesus said, oh, Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. You're so self-centered. But Mary has chosen the best part. She's at my feet, at, at his feet. That's where I want to be. How about you? At his feet. So it starts with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will get you through the gates. And once you get through those gates, once you begin to be thankful, something else wells up in you. It's praise. Praise is different from thanksgiving. There's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 95 verse 2 says this, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with praise with psalms or with praise. It says with psalms, but it, it's, that's what really praise is. Praise is pretty loud, y'all. You know, people who complain about our music, there are actually people who complain that our music is too loud. Don't say, oh, me. But Because I want to tell you something. If you think our music is too loud, you may not want to go to heaven. <laughs> because Isaiah told me, in Isaiah chapter 6, you need to read it. It's about worship. And he said the angels were shouting holy so loud that the building was shaking. Now, when it gets so loud in here that the building is shaking, then you know that we're moving into a place of great praise. Praise is loud. Praise is loud. Praise, what is praise? Let's look at the definition of praise. Praise is an expression and a celebration of the mighty acts of God. It's not about us anymore. It's about what God has done. We begin to celebrate who God is and what God has done. And praise is so powerful. It is so powerful. Thanksgiving turns our hearts and our minds toward God. But praise then begins to celebrate what God has done. Just what God has done. Psalms 22 verse 3 says, Thou, O Lord, art holy. Thou inhabits the praises of Israel. You're holy. You inhabit the praise of Israel. I think of praise as a spacesuit. You know, when our astronauts went to the moon and walked on the moon, it was necessary for them to wear a spacesuit because the atmosphere of the moon would not support human life. Well, now they figure now it might because they found water on the moon. But at that time, they weren't sure, and we're still not really sure, so I'm not going up there without a spacesuit. In fact, I'm not going up there. Write it in your book. I'm not going up there. I'm not getting in one of those crampy little spaceships. I, I like the wide open spaces. I'm from Texas, y'all. But I think of praise as a spacesuit. You say, what do you mean? Well, I believe, in fact, I know that when we worship praise and we begin to release praise, it creates a canopy around us. Uh, let me give you another scripture. This one is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. This is what it says. God will to make known the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the word Christ is not a name. It's a title, and it means the anointed one. And glory is the manifested presence of God. So in you is the anointing of the anointed one, if you're born again. 
the anointing of the anointed one is in you, and glory being the manifested presence of God is the glory in you. Now, you say, where are you going with this? Oh, this is so wonderful. When you open your mouth, how many of you were singing along tonight? Anybody here singing along? If you weren't, shame on you. <laughs> when you opened your mouth and you began to sing, you released an invisible substance called glory. Did you know that? came out of your mouth as you were worshiping, came out of your mouth as you were praising the Lord. When you were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, all out of your mouth was coming, this wonderful substance from the anointing of the anointed one, and it was coming out of your mouth, and it was creating a canopy in this room that supports the holiness of God and allows him to move among us, allows him to heal us, allows him to set us free. It's a canopy of praise. Oh, glory, glory. Where was I? <laughs> Praise creates an atmosphere. You can do it at home. You can do it anywhere. You can do it in your car. You can create an atmosphere for God to move. But that's one of the reasons it's easier to get healed in church among other believers than at home by yourself. Because when we all release that, it makes a really big canopy. It makes a powerful, powerful canopy. Praise is also a weapon against the enemy. Praise is a weapon. In fact, we sang about it. One of the songs we sang about tonight was, We lift our eyes up to the hills from whence cometh our help. And it talks about the Lord being, our, being defending us and fighting for us. And you know, I think one of the greatest places, one of the best illustrations of that is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it's the story of Jehoshaphat. So he was surrounded by several armies. He was really in bad shape. And he was very concerned. He was so concerned, he called the whole nation to a fast, even their animals, to fast and pray and seek God's face for help. And God sent a prophet and gave him a battle plan. Oh, it was a very unusual battle plan. Again, I'm glad I wasn't one of his praisers. Because God's battle plan was to march right down into the camp of the enemy. He said, this is where the enemy is. I want you to march right down into the camp of the enemy, and I want you to send your singers first. I want them to march down there and not screaming. I want them to march down there singing, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We used to sing that all the time. Do you ever sing that song? For the Lord, he is good and his mercy endureth forever. That may not have been the tune they used. But that was the song they sang. The Lord is good. And you know what God did? God loves praise. He finds it irresistible. He went before them. He confused their enemy. The enemy actually self-destructed. They started fighting each other, killing each other. When Israel got to the camp of the enemy, you know what they found? Spoil. They found all the spoil of the enemy. All they had to do was pick up the spoil because praise had defeated the enemy. Praise is a weapon. Now, when you get into the courts of the Lord with praise, there are three pieces of furniture. Three, uh, pardon me, two articles of furniture. Just two articles of furniture in, in the courts. The altar of sacrifice and a basin is called a, a laver for washing. That's the two items that are in there. And see, so you see them there. So there there's the, there's the, the, uh, the altar of sacrifice and the laver. Now, in the Old Testament, what they did was they brought their sacrifice, they killed the, uh, they burnt the sacrifice on the altar. 
and then there was cleansing. Those pieces of furniture speak to us of, of salvation, of forgiveness of sin, and of cleansing. Aren't you glad we don't have to bring an animal? We still enter the courts, but now Jesus has, is the perfect sacrifice. We're in the season of celebrating the resurrection. I love Resurrection Sunday. I love to celebrate the resurrection because Jesus died for all men for all time. He died for us that we might have eternal life. The greatest act God has what the greatest act God has ever done on our behalf was for Jesus to die and to become our sacrifice and to cleanse us from our sins. That's what the courts are all about. And actually, as you begin to progress toward God in your journey toward his presence in worship, and you get to that place, Isaiah in Isaiah 6 got to that place, and when he got there, he began to recognize the presence of God and the power of God and to celebrate God, but he recognized something else, his own sin. And in praise, going toward worship, is a place where our sin will surface in our life. Why in the world would the Lord let sin surface in my life when I'm trying to get to him? Because he wants it out of my life so I can have true communion with him. That's what he wants. That's what that altar is about. Thank God all we have to do is confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. There's that laver of washing. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have every reason to praise the Lord. Every reason. In Psalms 139, I want you to think about this. Uh, verse 23. This is a prayer of David. David was before the Lord and he realized, oh wow, I've got a problem. And this is what he said. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. While we're here in the courts, why don't you just get still for a moment? Let's just be still for a moment, and let's let the Lord show us. You know, the, I think it's the Living Bible says, show me if there's anything in me that makes you sad. I don't want to make the Lord sad, do you? And as we're moving toward his presence, he wants to cleanse us for a very specific reason. Back to Isaiah 6, which we're really not looking at, but I love that chapter. After Isaiah was cleansed, his ears were open, and he actually heard the voice of God. Now, that's the same thing that happens to us. When we allow the Lord to cleanse us, he will also open our ears. And when we open the Bible to begin to read the next time, all of a sudden, the Lord will begin to speak to us from his word. Or perhaps just walking through life, you will be able to hear him. It'll sound like an accidental thought to your mind, but it's really the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you because you've allowed him to cleanse you and to open your ears. It's part of your journey to his presence. It's part of your journey to worship. Now, normally, at the end of our service, we pray a yes prayer for anybody who may be in the building who has never received Jesus as their Lord. But tonight, as we draw near to the Lord, I think it's very important that before we get to the holy place and the holy of holies, that all of us are born again. All of us are where we should be with the Lord. So you know what we're going to do right now? Can't you guess? We're going to pray the yes prayer. If you're here 
and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or you're away from the Lord, or as I've spoken to you, sin has risen up in you, and you realize you need cleansing, you need the Lord to touch you, we're going to pray this prayer together. Are you ready? This is a powerful prayer. Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do tonight with you in this prayer. Pray after me. Dear God, I know man needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now you're ready. Now we're ready to move, not to the Holy of Holies yet, but to the holy place, to the holy place. We've taken time to let the Lord examine us. We've taken time to invite him in. There are three articles in the holy place. The, they are the showbread that speaks of communion. We're about to move into a place of actually communing with the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's what worship is. It's communicating with the God who made the heavens and the earth. There's also the lamp stand, which represents the precious Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move in my heart. Move in our hearts, Lord. Take us into the Holy of Holies, Lord, that we may worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And there's also an altar of incense for sacrifice. You know, in the Holy of Holies, there's only one article. It is the Ark of the Covenant. And it, and it represents the throne of God. There's an angel on either end. They have their wings over their head, and they're looking down on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant has a lid called the mercy seat. And when the priest sacrifices the sacrifice for sin, and he brings the blood into the Holy of Holies, he puts it on the mercy seat, and it covers. You know what it covers? There are three items in the Ark. One of the items is the law, the tablets of the law, where God gave Moses the law, how people should live, what we should do for a successful life. But the problem is the man couldn't keep the law of God. It's broken. It's broken. The second item in that little box was a little bowl of manna. When they were in the wilderness and ran out of food, God sent them food from heaven, angel food. In fact, that's what manna means. What is it? They didn't know what it was. But, you know, they murmured, and they complained, and they got tired of it. They rejected God's provision, and sometimes so do we. And the last item in there was Aaron's rod that budded. What a miracle for that rod to bud. But you know what it represented to the angels looking down? All year long, they looked down in there, and when they saw Aaron's rod that budded, it represented man's rebellion against God's authority. Because that rod budded because the people said, we think we could lead just as well as you, Moses. And so God, God did that. He showed them Aaron and Moses had been chosen to lead by making that. It was a petrified piece of wood, but he made it bloom with leaves and flowers and fruit. 
So every, every time those little angels look down to report back to God, they say, we see man's inability to keep your law. We see man's rebellion against your authority. We see man's rejection of your provision. But once a year, once a year, the priest put the blood. And the angels will look down and they say, oh, we see blood that covers. But then Jesus came. And now when Jesus looks down at me and at you, he doesn't see your inability to keep his law. He doesn't even see your rejection of his provision or your rebellion. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. That's where we're going. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover our sin. The blood of Jesus removed our sin. And on the day that Jesus died, there was a thick curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. Only the priest could go in there. But on the day that Jesus died, God the Father grabbed that curtain and he ripped it. And he made the way for every one of us to come boldly. I said I was going to share that with you. It's in Hebrews 4.16. And it's, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. I want to close with two scriptures that define worship and a personal story, and then we're going to worship for just a second before we leave. Mark 12 says, Mark 12, 30 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as uh, dedicated, all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational act of worship. That's what God wants from us. That's what worship is. A little personal story. Years ago, I was before the Lord and I was exhausted, and I was telling the Lord how exhausted I was. And He spoke to my heart and He said, you're exhausted because I've called you to a ministry that you have not fulfilled. What is it, Lord? What is it? He said, I've called you to be a sacrifice. And he quoted Romans 12, 1 to me. And then he asked me the question, what does the sacrifice do? Well, in the Old Testament, it died. Thank goodness he quoted a New Testament scripture to me. And I thought beyond dying, the, the sacrifice does nothing but wait before the Lord. Then his question was, what is the sacrifice waiting for? The fire of God. Waiting for the fire of God. He said, if you will wait before me, if you won't get into the holy place and wait before me, I will send the fire of my spirit and you will never feel this exhausted again. You will stop operating from your own strength and you will begin to operate from my strength. Tonight, let's go to the altar. The singers are going to come. We're going to close in a song, a song of worship. Stand with me, would you? Father, we bring you our bodies tonight as a living sacrifice. We climb up on the altar of worship, Lord. We offer ourselves to you. We ask you, Lord, to fill us, fill us, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Manifest yourself in our midst, Lord. And teach us to worship. Teach us to worship. Teach us.
and win and have a great week. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.